Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more." But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, her, called saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. Uh, my name is Matt, and I serve uh, as the pastor here. And if you're new to our community, I would love to get to know you. Uh, you can come up to me after the service. There's a QR code in the bulletin. There's another way to get connected. But it, uh, if you're new and you're just joining us, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, uh, approaching the early chapters of the Gospel through the question of who is Jesus, and seeing uh, that uh trying to meet Jesus on his own terms. It's, it's a temptation of us uh, in our day and age to just take bits and pieces of Jesus, to, to take the parts of the things about him that we like and just discard the rest. But we want to see Jesus on his own terms and see why having the whole Jesus is better than the Jesus that we can curate and create for ourselves. And today we've come to the aspect of Jesus that is almost always the first part of Jesus to get carved away, especially in our modern, westernized, secular society. And that's the aspect of Jesus, the miracle worker, the Jesus who does wonders. And uh, while we're tempted uh, to fixate on the miracles of Jesus and whether or not the miraculous can, can occur, and we'll touch on that in just a moment, what I want you to see is that Luke has his focus elsewhere, that, that when, Jesus, and when Luke is recording the events uh, here from Jesus' perspective, Jesus doesn't have his focus on the, the works that he's doing. He's not rolling up his sleeves and saying, stand back, everybody, watch this. Jesus' focus is actually on the faith of the people who have approached him. Jesus' uh, emphasis is on the faith of those who come to him. And so intermingled with these stories of the miraculous is also the, the question of faith. What is it? How does it relate uh, to our lives? What is the role of, of faith and reason and so on? And so in our time together, I want us to consider a few things on the nature of faith as we look at Jesus, the miracle worker, this morning. 
uh, I want us to wrestle with three things. The, the, first, the unavoidability of faith. Secondly, the necessity of faith. And then third, the secret to faith. So the, the unavoidability, the necessity, the secret. And so let's first look at the unavoidability of faith. And when I say that phrase, here, here's what I'm getting at. So there's this Canadian philosopher named Charles Taylor, and he's written extensively about our, our current historical moment, how we got to believe the things that we believe now. And in his book, A Secular Age, he critiques the common story in our day, which he calls a subtraction narrative. Uh, the subtraction narrative in its simplest form goes like this. As a society, you know, 500 years ago, it was natural for everybody to believe in God. There was a common belief in the supernatural, but we discovered along the way that belief in God is a hindrance to progress. It, it hinders scientific advancement. It, it hinders the advancement of, of the human people. And so we've just discarded, we've subtracted God from the, from the equation, and now we can see things clearly. We can see things as they are. Another way of putting it is that Modern secular people are, are uh, people of reason. They're people who, who use rationality. But people of religious b- background, they're, they're just religious because of faith. So modern people are, are, are the way they are because of reason, and religious people are the way they are because of faith, that they have some kind of emotional need that compels them to believe in a higher power or something beyond the material world. But in his book, uh, Taylor gives a couple of examples to demonstrate how this, subst- this subtraction story that a lot of us have come to believe uh, almost imperceptibly, how this subtraction story falls short. And the first way that he seeks to demonstrate this out is that uh, the first thing he says is that because there are no airtight arguments on either side for the existence of God or against the existence of God, at, at some irreducible level, because there's no airtight argument, to some degree we're all living a life of faith. We're all living uh, with some unprovable assumptions about reality, either that there's a God behind the universe or that the material universe is all there is. Uh, It's an often repeated story that back in 1961, the Russian astronaut Yuri Gagarin goes up into space, and and on his return he says, I went up into space looking for God, and I couldn't find him. And I, and I think that's the mentality that a lot of, that a lot of modern people have, that, that there's a struggle to see evidence of God in the world. But that kind of conclusion, that, that we cannot find God because we look out in the material world, Taylor says is actually a category mistake because no religion in the world believes that, that you can find God within the material world. All religions say that, there is, that God is immaterial. God is uh, something other than, than matter and motion, that he is behind and before the universe that brings it into motion. And... And so, uh, at the end of the day, there's irreducible claims about the origin story of the universe on either side, either that that God stands behind the universe or that matter uh, is eternal, that matter created itself, that God made the the world or that matter made itself. And so, at at the core of our origin story, as well as some other basic things that modern people hold today, for instance, uh, a belief in universal human dignity or, or, or that universal compassion should be a driving force in society, those kinds of beliefs you can't be proven empirically. There, there's no experiment you can conduct to verify universal human rights. Uh, and so at the very core uh, of all of uh, all of the way that, that each and every one of us navigate the world, it's based on some kind of assumption about reality. Uh, it's, a, it's a leap of faith that we're all making. And so in that way, faith is unavoidable. All of us are living our lives based on some uh, background beliefs uh, that we have about reality. But, but secondly, though, Taylor says that subtract, subtraction stories don't work because that uh, emotional, that emotional uh, sense that, that's often 
uh, portrayed as religious people, that they have some emotional need to believe in God. Taylor says that that emotional need to disbelieve in God can be just as present. So that there are emotional reasons to believe in God, and there are emotional reasons to disbelieve in God. And as an example of this, uh, Taylor cites the work of Thomas Nagel, who is a professor at NYU, and he himself is, is not a Christian. Nagel uh, is, a, is a proclaimed atheist. Uh, but in a, in a book that Nagel wrote, uh, here, here's, what, here's what Nagel has to say. Nagel says, I want atheism to be true, and I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God, and naturally hope that I'm right. It's that I hope that there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem, and that's an interesting phrase of his, cosmic authority problem. Uh, my sense is that this cosmic authority problem that I have is not a rare condition, and it is responsible for much of the scientism and reductionism of our time. One of the tendencies it supports is the ludicrous overuse of evolutionary biology to explain everything about human life. This is a ridiculous situation. It is just as irrational to be influenced in one's belief by the hope that God does not exist as by the hope that God does exist. So you hear Nagel's claim. Na Nagel is, is honest about the fact that, that you can believe in God and have an emotional need uh, to believe that clouds your judgment, but he says you can also not believe in God and have an emotional desire for God not to exist that also clouds your rational judgments as well. And so at the end of the day, Taylor says, faith is unavoidable. Um, it's not that some people have faith and some don't. We all have it, and we're all channeling it in some direction this morning. And if you're here today and you're convinced that miracles are, are impossible, my hope is that you see that, the, that that belief is not just an exclusively rational conclusion. It ultimately flows from a faith commitment that the material world is all there is, and uh, which is an unprovable assumption. So to one degree or another, we're all living by faith. It's unavoidable. And if it's unavoidable, then can I encourage you, at least for the next few moments, uh, as we walk back through these stories of two miraculous works, that you can be open to the possibility of the miraculous and, and even more importantly, to the person behind the miraculous. So let's move to, from the unavoidability of faith to the necessity of faith. So as we dig into these stories, we see two people running to Jesus in search of, of the miraculous. And consider the, the, the pairing of these two unlikely people. Uh, consider that, that one person is male, the other is female. One person, Jairus, is named. The other, the, the woman, is anonymous. Jairus comes to, comes to Jesus on behalf of his 12-year-old daughter. And this woman has been bleeding for, for 12 years. So you have a, someone who's young, someone who's old. Jairus, it, he's a leader in the synagogue. He's a social and religious insider. Uh, this woman, because of her discharge of blood, would have made her ceremonially unclean, which means she would have been excluded from the corporate worship of God's people. So she's a social and religious outsider. Jairus was a man of means. He had wealth and resources. And the woman, uh, on the other hand, had spent every dime that she had, but she was no close to being healed uh, with an empty bank account as she had with a full one. And so you have these two people, despite being on the opposite ends of every spectrum, young, old, rich, poor, uh, social insider, social outsider, religiously uh, esteemed and religiously cast out. Both of these people come to Jesus for help. That's the common thread. They, they believe that Jesus can help, and more than that, they need Jesus to help. 
and every other solution, every other option that they've exhausted in trying to search for healing have come up empty, and they need Jesus to do the impossible. And so in considering the necessity of faith, I want to point out two things. Uh, The first thing is that uh, about the necessity of faith is that if you want to see Jesus, if you want to see Jesus for who he really is, if you're going to truly encounter Christ and be changed by him, then you need to come to him by faith. You, you need to come to him by faith. In fact, uh, the scriptures would say that you can only come to Jesus in faith. Uh, another New Testament book, the book of Hebrews, puts it this way. He says, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And if you've been following along in Luke's gospel, or, or if you're familiar with the ministry of Jesus, you'll notice that the signs and wonders and miracles that Jesus does uh, are always connected to the faith of the person who's approached him. And in some cases, it's even in spite, or, or it's meant to, to just show the contrast of lack of faith in, in the people that he's performing these miracles around. So, for instance, the first time in Luke's gospel where we read that Jesus is amazed or he's surprised at something that he's encountered or experienced is at the faith of a Roman soldier who has come to Jesus begging for healing for his, serv- for his servant. Uh, just earlier, a little bit in, in Luke chapter 8, there's this storm on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus calms the storm, and, and after the storm is calm, he confronts his disciples and says, where is your faith? And, and they're filled with fear because of it. Or if you consider when we first opened up the series on who is Jesus in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus goes to Nazareth, we read that Jesus didn't perform any miracles in his hometown. Why? Because of their lack of faith. It, because of their lack of faith. And so the miracles that Jesus performs in the Gospels were prompted by the faith of those who approached them, and in some cases it was meant to expose and, and, and call out the lack of faith, the absence of faith in the people who ought to have believed, who ought to have known better. And so this shows us that if you want to meet Jesus, if you want to encounter the, the real Christ, if you want to be transformed by him, you can't, you can't just come to Jesus as an intellectual exercise. You can't just come to him uh, because you just have an emotional need. You need to come to Jesus entirely by faith. It, it, following Jesus is more than just reasoning it out. It's more than just feeling your way towards the divine. It, it's, not, it's not more than that. It's not less than that, but it's certainly more. It involves you, you approaching Jesus by faith. And, and the good news, friends, is that we just pointed out, faith is something that all of us possess. It's not just a select gift that, that, that few people have. Faith is something... That, that we all have. And so regardless of where you fall on the human spectrum this morning, whether you're rich or poor, uh, insider or outsider, um, young or old, faith is something that we all have access to. And, and because we're all putting our faith in something, Jesus says, why don't you come and place your faith in me? That's the first thing, that, that we all need faith because, because if, we, if we're going to encounter the real Jesus, we need to come to him by faith. But, but the second thing that I want us to see about this text, about the necessity of faith, is that when we do come to Jesus in faith, we find that, that Jesus is willing and able to save. That when we come to Jesus in faith, he is willing and able to save. He, he's willing and able to act in response to our faith. When, when Jairus comes to Jesus and implores him to go and, and, and heal his, his baby girl, Jesus goes straight away. And, and when the bleeding woman touches the fringes of Jesus' garment, hoping to be healed, she's healed immediately. The very moment she touches Jesus is the very moment that she's made whole. And, and Jesus stops what he's doing, which is very urgent, by the way. He, he's, he's stopped this ambulance trip to Jairus' home 
Uh, and he causes this scene where he ultimately, uh, where this woman ultimately has to come forward and, and, and own up to what she's done. You see, it, in that moment, Jesus calls her out publicly, not to scorn her or shame her, but to actually make her whole, to, to consummate her healing on, on every single level because she's healed physically, but, but she still needs to be healed socially. She still needs to be healed religiously. And so Jesus calls the crowd together and puts this woman's testimony uh, in, in the public record because, th- because they need to see that this person, that this woman is made whole in her whole being, that she's not just physically healed, she's socially restored to the community. She, she's religiously restored to the family of God that she can now go into the temple and worship with, her, with, with, with the family of faith. She, she's restored socially, so she's no longer an outcast, that she no longer needs to let, tell people she's coming so people can get out of the way and avoid her. She is fully restored to the community. And, and Jesus looks at this woman, and he, and he calls her daughter. It, it's, it's a family term. She's bringing her back from, from, the, from the margins of society, back into the family of God. And, she, and in effect, Jesus is saying to this, to this woman, do not think it is a burden for me to heal you. Do, do not think I, I'm ashamed or, I'm, or, 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 it's a, or it's a distraction for me to go, out of, to go out of my way to respond to your need. Woman, your faith has made you whole. Your, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you, Jesus says. So go in peace. And, and the story of the bleeding woman shows us that Jesus is, is more than willing to save. Jesus is able to save. Jesus is able to save. And, and while Jesus is making a scene, a servant comes from Jairus' home and says, it's too late. Your daughter has passed. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. And, and can you imagine the heartbreak in that moment? Can you imagine the despair that, that's welling up in this father who has come to Jesus with, with, with the, the deepest request that he's ever had in his life? Can, can you imagine maybe the anger welling up in his spirit that, that, that he was interrupted by, by, this, by this woman who, who's been suffering for 12 years and maybe in his mind is thinking, couldn't it have been one more day? Couldn't it have been 12 years in one day? And, but, but this has cost, this interruption has cost my baby girl's life. In this moment, Jesus isn't deterred. He looks at Jairus and he says, do you still believe? Do you still believe I'm able to do the thing that you came to me to do? And so taking Jairus and his weeping mother and a few of his disciples into the home, he, 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 takes, he, he, he walks with them into the room where his baby girl has died. And, and Jesus says that, that your daughter isn't dead, she's asleep. And you notice here in the text that, that the people are laughing at him, which, which tells us that people in the first century knew how death works. Uh, they're, they're just as enlightened as we are about the irreversibility uh, of death. And so they're not superstitious people that, that thinks that Jesus uh, can do a parlor trick and raise her from the dead. They, first century people know how death works. And so they laugh at Jesus, knowing that, that once somebody's dead, they, they just don't get up. But you see Jesus going to the bed of this dead girl, taking her hand. And isn't that so tender of Jesus to take her hand? And then he says, child, get up. No incantation, no lengthy ceremony, not channeling any power from out, uh, from, from some other source that in his own power, he takes her by the hand and he says, little girl, get up. And she does. And, And can you imagine that little girl waking up to having her hand held by Jesus? And then Jesus having the, the awareness of mind to say, can we go get her a snack? Like, she's been through a lot today. She, she's died. Can we get her some food? She, this, this girl awakes to find her hand held by his, and he tells, uh, and, and he sees Jesus caring for all her needs. 
that Jesus is willing and he's able to save. So these stories show us the necessity of faith, that if we're really going to meet Jesus, if we're really going to encounter God, he's designed the world in such a way that we can only know God fully, truly, by coming to him in faith. You can't just come to Jesus rationally or emotionally. You need to come to him entirely by faith, bringing all of yourself and placing your trust in him. And when we come to God in faith, we find that Jesus is willing and able to save. He's willing and able to enter into and respond to the problems in your life as well. So all of us have faith, all, and, and we all need faith. But finally, let's consider the secret to faith. And this might be the best thing that I ever say as, as a pastor here at Resurrection Presbyterian Church. Do you know what the secret to faith is this morning? The secret to faith, it, it's, it's in our story, and it's hiding in plain sight. So the secret to faith isn't in the amount of faith that you possess. It's not in how much faith you have. It's not even in the quality that, the, you know, it's not even in, in the quality of the faith that you possess. The secret to faith is in the object of faith. The secret to faith is in the object uh, of, of your faith. It's the object of your faith that makes all the difference. So consider, it's, when it comes to faith, it doesn't matter the amount of faith that you have, whether you come to, G, uh, whether you have a lot of faith in Jesus, or whether you just have a shred of faith that Jesus could possibly do something. And it's not even in the quality of faith. You think about J- Jairus being a synagogue leader, so he's well-versed in the, in the stories of God and how God has provided for and, and, and delivered and worked out great things for his people. And then you have the faith of this woman who reaches out almost superstitiously to touch the fringes of Jesus' garment, not wanting to make a scene, not wanting to draw attention to herself. That you see, not even the quality of faith in that instance uh, affects the outcome. The, the secret to their faith and the secret to our faith isn't in how much faith we possess, the quality of faith that you have this morning. The secret to faith is in the object of faith. It's, it's what you're placing your trust in. It, it's, where you're, it, it's where you're putting your belief. It, and it, it's where you place your faith this morning that makes all the difference. And so here's a way to illustrate this. Uh, and forgive me if it's, if it's a little juvenile, but imagine you're falling off a cliff how you got to falling off a cliff, I don't, I don't know how, that, how you got there, but imagine you're falling off a cliff and you notice uh, that there's a plant with a branch protruding from it that, that is just within your reach. Now, does it matter in that moment when you reach out to grab that branch that you have a lot of faith in that branch for it to hold you or, or, or you reach out for that branch with all the confidence in the world that's going to hold you? No, it, your belief in that moment does not, does, does not change a thing. What matters in that moment is the object that you're reaching out to. It's, it's the branch itself. It, it's, it's, whether the, it's not in your, in your faith in, in, in the ability of the branch to hold you. It's in, the, it's in the branch's ability to hold you. And if it's true in that instance, friends, it's so much more with Jesus. When you reach out to Christ full of faith or, 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 or just barely hoping to, to, to be caught as you're falling, it, at the end of the day, your faith isn't dependent on, on the amount of faith you possess or, or, how, or how strong your grip is on Christ. At the end of the day, it's, it's about Christ's grip on you. It's not about how, how, how firmly you grasp onto, onto Christ. It's about how firmly Christ grasps onto you. And when we, when we, come, when we come to him, uh, full of faith or barely believing, the miracle of grace is that no matter how we come, it's about how Jesus holds on to us, that Jesus is the substance to which our faith can hold on to, and putting our faith in him will never let us down. In fact, all of the miracles that Jesus performs and the gospel writers record for us are there to help us get a firmer grip 
on Christ and to strengthen our faith that he is a worthy savior, that he is the best place uh, in the entire world that we could place our trust, that it's in this Jesus who came to heal our diseases and bear our shame. It's this Jesus who came to overrule reports of death, that, that he can raise people from the dead as easily as it is for him to wake a child up from their nap. See, we can put our faith in this God. Why? Because like Jairus, God had an, God had an only child. And God sent his son into the world, and, and, and this son bled, and his bleeding didn't stop. That, 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 that he bled, and, and, his, and he went to sleep the death, the sleep of death, but, but he rose again three days later, like waking up from a long nap. Why? To, to, to rise and to give us confidence that death is not the final word of our story either. That we, that we can tr- come to a, to a Savior who is alive today, and that in his presence we can have all our fears all our doubts, all our worries wither away in his presence. See, friends, if you're, if you're looking for, for certainty today, if you're looking uh, for something firm to hold on to, you get more certainty as you get more Jesus. You, you get more certainty as you, as, you, as you get more of Christ. In a moment, uh, we're going to sing a song. Uh, it's one of my favorites, Heal Us, Emmanuel, by a guy named William Cooper. And his whole life is worth examining in depth at some point, but... Uh, here's, here are the highlights of it. Uh, Cooper's mother gave birth to seven children, uh, but only two survived past infancy. And when he was six years old, his mother dies during childbirth. And then he goes off to boarding school where he will later write of unimaginable abuse and violation that he experiences at the hands of an older student. Uh, he battles with depression and anxiety. In his 20s, he suffers under the strain of work pressures uh, to the point that he has a breakdown and he's institutionalized. Uh, but when he's released and in recovery, he meets a guy named John Newton, an ex-slave trader turned minister. Maybe if you've heard of the hymn Amazing Grace, uh, that's the same guy. And, and Cooper has an encounter with Christ, and, and he devotes his life uh, to, to Jesus. And then he goes on to continue uh, really a lot more of the same thing. Uh, Cooper continues to, to wrestle with depression, to wrestle with, with doubt and anxiety and fear. His life continues to be one of full of suffering and difficulty, but, um, but, then, but then it's in that context that he writes a song like this, Heal Us, Emmanuel. Heal Us, Emmanuel. And in this final verse of the song, we, we see a discovery that Cooper made that sustained him uh, in, it, in the midst of all of his doubts and depression and uh, in, in his struggles and his suffering. He says, like, hopes, like her with hopes and fears we come to touch you if we may. Send us not despairing home. Send none unhealed away. Cooper knows that, that by coming to Jesus, he's not going to be sent away. That whatever it is he is wrestling with, it is something that Jesus will eventually cure and, and, and make him whole. And so, friends, I wonder what hopes and fears you walked in here with this morning. What, what worries and anxieties might be overwhelming you in this moment. What, we, what healing is needed for us physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, all of it can be found in Jesus. It's a truth that, that Cooper discovered. It's a, it's, a, it's a truth that the daughter of Jairus and, and, and this anonymous woman experienced, that they all find their way to Jesus, and in him they find a Savior who is willing and able to save. And so, friends, won't you fly to him as well this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has seen us in our suffering, has seen us 
in our languishing, in our pain, in our hurt, and that you're not indifferent to it, that you sent your son Jesus into the world to undo uh, the brokenness of the world, to make those who are suffering whole, to make those who are hurting healed, to be our help and hope in times of need. And, and Lord, we pray that you would help our faith, uh, help us to put our trust in you, to, to put all of our, our trust, our belief in Jesus, knowing that he is a worthy Savior, and that in this object of our faith will never be let down. We pray that you would make it so in us, for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen.